You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me this week is Julie Murphy, author of the acclaimed young adult novel, Side Effects May Vary. Julie joins us on the phone today from Texas, and I'm so glad to talk to her about her new novel, Dumplin', on sale September 15th from Balzer and Bray. Welcome, Julie. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. Now, your novel has a subtitle. Can you tell us what it is, please, and, and why you chose it? Yeah, the um, the tagline for the novel is um, "Go big or go home," and um, it just it seemed to suit the atmosphere. I mean, the the book is set in Texas, where I live, um, and that's that's very much the attitude in Texas is "Go big or go home," and um, the book is about a plus size heroine who's totally comfortable in her skin. So it just seems like the perfect mantra for her. It really does. Now the novel has. And I'm going to shamelessly crib from the publisher letter that was blown into the um, ARC. It has, uh, uh-huh. because Alessandra wrote it so well, it has beautifully nuanced uh-huh. characters, poignant, real friendships, an evocative sense of place, goosebump-inducing romantic chemistry, an incredibly moving mother-daughter relationship, and a message about loving yourself at any size, which in fact doesn't refer just to weight, but also height in this case, in her best friend's case. Yeah. I I just want to say right now, way to go, because I think this was a hugely ambitious undertaking, and I I really think you you pulled it off so well. What is it about your life that prepared you and and motivated you to write this book? I was always the biggest person in the room. I was always chubby, and I was always too tall. Um, by the time I was in third, fourth grade, I was starting to like overtake my teachers. I was starting to become taller than them. Um, so I was always, you know, back row on picture day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, from a very early age, I knew what it felt like to take up space. And for a long time, I wanted to write a book about a girl who took up too much space. Um, I think that in our society, we, we put a lot of, um, emphasis on women taking up too much space and you know we should be you know these tiny little flowers who just take up this small little area and but on the other hand men are expected to take up like insane amounts of space they're expected to sit broadly they're expected to have like these huge shoulders that overtake their seats you know what I mean yeah um so I really it was something I just knew and was really familiar with from a really early age. So I felt comfortable moving into that territory, but it was also a little nerve wracking because, you know, I didn't want to speak on anyone else's behalf. I didn't want to say, this is what it's like for all fat people. This is what it's like for, you know, all X kind of people. Um, so it was definitely, there's something to juggle there for sure. What I liked about it was that you certainly made us feel very empathetic about an overweight protagonist, but what she and we, you know, appreciate by the end of the book is that we all have our feelings of insecurities about our bodies. There's not one of us who thinks, "Oh my God, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm perfect in every way." And and you really were able to um, 
to draw that out in a very natural uh, way, in, in, in my opinion. I really wanted anyone to be able to read the book, regardless of their weight or their size, and find that, you know, they can identify with the book, because everyone has that one thing, whether we can see it or whether we can't, or whether people think you can see it, but you really can't. Um, everyone has something that is holding them back, something that they allow themselves to um, sort of like get in their head and get stuck on, whether it's having bad teeth or like saying the wrong thing. I want, I mean, of course, I, I first and foremost, I want for all the chubby girls out there to read this book and really relate to what it means. But I also wanted anyone else to be able to replace the word fat with anything and then be able to understand Willow Dean's struggle in her story. Yeah, so. I think I think you were successful. Now, speaking of Willow Dean, my most favorite name ever. Where did you where did you get that name? Well, if you can believe it, Willow Dean is the name of one of my favorite cashiers at my old grocery store. <laughs> she was probably seventy eight, maybe like early eighties. She had dyed her her white hair like pitch black and she had these white roots coming in and she was a chain smoker and she didn't talk to anyone except to say your total and she just didn't care to give anyone a time of day but her name tag was Willa Dean and it was just it was such an oddly cheerful name for this woman who just couldn't be bothered with anyone and she was so I don't know she just resonated with me I I think I like people who are difficult to like and she yeah. she really stuck with me so I as soon as I saw as soon as I saw her name tag I knew that I had to I knew that I had found my protagonist name it's such a great name and it's used in such a great way because when her when her boyfriend says it it, it just does so many things to her and, and it's, yeah. it's just so marvelous now you said about your first book uh, side effects may vary that I, I really didn't know what I was doing at the time. I just wrote it as if everything I had to say was gold. And so much of my success, I can hopefully thank my ignorance for. And now I tell everyone that the more you learn about writing, the harder it becomes. So how how hard was writing your second book? Oh, man, <laughs> it was really hard. Um, because of the, I think every writer is constantly stuck in the cycle. But because of the schedule I'm on, my next book is always due when my current book is coming out. Wow. <laughs> so I'm currently writing my third book, even though, you know, I've got Dublin launching on, you know, the 15th, just a couple days from now. Um, so like that, like, is a pressure cooker in and of itself, but it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to like forgive myself of my mistakes in a first draft because I know what a finished book looks like. That's something that I'm hopefully learning um, to finally like let go of a first draft and let my editor see all the ugly bits of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I really like there, there was something really magical about side effects of Arian that I really didn't know. And I was really proud of it at every single stage. And like, well, you know, it's like that ignorance is great and that confidence is great. It's something, it's a feeling I wish I could bottle and just give to myself when I really need it most. But it's just not possible. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard this from other writers where that yeah. first effort is the easiest one, and then it, it gets increasingly difficult from, from there on out. You've also described yourself as a starter, you know, much more than a finisher. So do you think that maybe mm -hmm. part of what you do with the overlapping deadlines with, you know, launching one book and, 
and and needing to deliver uh, the next one, do you, do you think you force those deadlines on yourself to sort of push you through? Oh, I definitely do. I mean, without a doubt. Um, I Well, I need deadlines. I won't do anything without a deadline. I, I can't just show up somewhere. Someone has to schedule a time for me to be there. Um, so I, I definitely need the deadline. Like every other writer in the world, I have so many first chapters on my desktop of books that I think could be totally genius. Um, but I, I need someone to give me a deadline for them. Um, so I'm definitely, definitely a starter. I, I wish I could learn how to be a finisher. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm guessing that you're a person that is frequently described as fearless. Is that, is that right? Um, you know, I guess if you asked other people, if you asked my family or my friends, they might describe me that way. Um, but I live in my own head, so I, I hear fears and see fears all the time. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel like you're doing things that other people might think about doing, but you're you're really executing on them, and, and that's what makes me guess that they use that word fearless. But I've also read mm-hmm. you talk about part of growing up is that you've learned that it's okay to have your guard down and that kindness is is not a weakness. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you've, you're feeling about kindness these days. Yeah, you know, I um, I had a sort of rough childhood. We were we were pretty poor growing up. We were always moving, um, but none of that felt real to me. I, it felt normal to me. I thought that families always did this, and so. It never occurred to me that I should be anything less than, you know, happy and kind and all of those wonderful things. Um, but, as, you know, as I got older, of course, like my teenage years jaded me quite a bit. Um, and it, it got harder and harder to maintain that kindness and to maintain, I guess, like that purity that I had held on to when I was a child. Um, because I never thought that my life could go anywhere and I never, I was a horrible student in high school. Um, no one had any plans for me to go to college or anything like that. And any plans that I wanted to make, I was going to have to make on my own and decide on my own. And I know a lot of teenagers live with that reality. Um, but I was definitely wallowing in my own self-pity and I wasn't very nice about it. Um, but you know, now sitting back, looking at my life and seeing how, you know, when I graduated high school, like this, like I, I couldn't go back in the future and tell myself that I had written a book. Like I just couldn't, yeah. there's no way that I would believe myself. Um, and then on top of it to say that like, like, yes, I, I, I get to write these books because people have decided that, you know, they like my voice or that they think I'm talented, but also because of the kindness of other people, because this is such a yes or no business. This is such a business where the right person has to say yes at the right time. Um, and I, I'm so incredibly grateful to all of the people that I work with to, for making this possible. It's really changed my outlook and I guess how I, I don't know how I view my everyday life. I think that, um, I I wouldn't be where I was if it weren't for the kindness of my agent or the kindness of my editor. And so I I think a lot more about those things now. I think a lot more about what what I might be doing in my everyday life when I say yes or no to something that could impact someone else. Yeah. In a way that I can't foresee. 
Now, I've, I've read some, some facts about your life, some of which you've touched on, but I, I'm going to ask you to expand on a few others. Mm-hmm. As a kid, you wanted to be a chiropractor? <laughs> um, I did. My mother and I were in a pretty bad car accident growing up, and um, we had to go to a chiropractor on a weekly basis. My mom is not a big fan of mainstream medicine, <laughs> so we were going to like this like hippie chiropractor who I don't even know if he was 100% licensed or if he was an official <laughs> chiropractor, but I was very into our weekly appointments. And I was also, like I mentioned, a big kid, and I wasn't, I was never afraid growing up. And so one afternoon, we went to go see him, and I gave him a big hug, and I lifted this 40-year-old man off of his feet. (laughs) (laughs) Something happened, and he hurt his lower back, and then he had to go get readjusted by another chiropractor. Oh, my goodness, that's hilarious. (laughs) But I, I don't know, I always, I just liked the way that he could you know, touch your back and pop things and make it better. It felt like a very instantaneous gratification. I don't know. Yeah, healing. <laughs> now, where are your folks now? Um, my immediate family now lives in Texas, but we're all from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yeah. And Texas yeah. really features in this book as, as, as a character. It, it, it's so marvelously drawn, and, and you really you feel like it would be really difficult for these events to take place anywhere else but Texas and, you know, with this group of characters and, and everything that's going on. Now, is this true that you can't tell time, but if you stick you in the middle of nowhere, you can tell north and south and east and west? I can. I, I'm an old girl scout. I know my directions, but if I it takes me about a minute and a half to look at a watch and tell you what time it is. That's, I don't know. That's odd. It's very weird, and I'm I'm not dyslexic or anything like that, but... It's just, it's just something in my head, but it is never computed. I don't know why. That's so funny. <laughs> now you have a, a where the wild things are tattoo and any other tattoos of a literary nature? Um, I have a small Harry Potter tattoo. that's just, you know, his glasses and a lightning bolt. And um, <laughs> it's not a literary tattoo, but I have the most ridiculous tattoo on my other arm. That is a cat with a mermaid tail. Um, <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. My my niece always comes up to me and says, you know, Auntie Julie, cats can't be mermaids. And I always tell her, well, I'm glad you believe in mermaids to begin with. <laughs> yeah, that's a good response. Now, let me ask you this. How do popsicles factor into your writing process? We have a popsicle stand not far from my house. And they make them fresh, and they're like real fruit popsicles. Really? It's all they sell. It's called Steel City Pops, and it's open year-round, actually. I mean, we're in Texas, so like we, it gets cold, but they're just so good. I mean, and during the winter, they, they dip them in like warm chocolate. Oh, that like hardens immediately, and it, it's so, so good. My first book, I, I definitely, I wrote it through the summer and then on through the fall. And so during those summer months, like, popsicles got me through the day um it was basically my only food group but now when i'm really stuck i will drive out to steel city pops and treat myself to a popsicle do you have a um a writing group that you rely on as you're as you're moving through your drafts who are some of your first readers yeah um you know i when i was first starting out i had some people in real life who i actually would meet up for you know coffee and things like that and talk to them 
Um, but as things started progressing, I started running out of resources of people who were like in the same position I was. So there are a couple local authors, um, like Jenny Martin, her debut just came out called Tracked, mm-hmm. that I definitely rely on. But we were both so busy that we barely see each other. Um, people who I communicate with frequently over email um, would probably be Natalie Parker. She is also a Harper author. Her debut, The Where the Wild, came out in 2014. Um, another one would be Bethany Hagen, and her book, Landry Park, came out in 2014 as well. Um, but my my person who I go and talk to all the time, no matter what, her name is Jessica Taylor, and her first book is coming out in 2015. Um, and she just finished another book and signed with a new agent, and it is one of the best books ever read. So I'm really excited to see what that And how did you get to know her? Um, The writing community on the internet is hugely alive and I sort of just fell into it. Um, I think that there's lots of blogs on the internet that will give you like a writer's guide to Twitter and tell you who to follow to sort of get your feet wet and things like that. Um, But especially the kid-like community on the internet is just, absolutely incredible. I mean, Jessica lives in Sacramento. She and I come from totally different walks of life. In no other world would we have been friends, but now she's one of my best friends. And, yeah. you know, the same thing goes for Natalie and Bethany and Jenny. These girls are girls I would never have met. Um, otherwise, we just, our interests probably would never have intersected. Um, but I'm better for knowing them. And, you know, they've given me a more diverse outlook on the world and on my writing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, what is it that you found most challenging about the actual publishing process, about the, the you know, the making of the book and the launching of the book? Um, I mean, I would have to say that at the very beginning, revision was really hard for me when I sold side of X Mary, I was really upset with the fact that I had never done like a real revision with someone. I had never yeah. gotten an edit letter from someone. Um, I mean, I had revised the book with my friends, but it's not the same as getting just like one, you know, large letter from someone and then deciding how you're going to fix your book. Um, but I'm a problem solver. I'm a, I'm a big Myers-Briggs stuff. And so <laughs> my um, personality type is an INTJ and I am a total INTJ. And so when I get those edit letters, they're like puzzles to me and I love it. But I didn't love them at first because I was really bad at it. And an INTJ hates everything that they're bad at. Yeah. Um, they think it's dumb and unnecessary because they're bad at it. And that's how I felt at first about revising because I didn't feel comfortable in it. Um, and I wasn't liking what I was sending to my editor. And so we really, I mean, God bless Alessandra. We went back and forth on that book so many times. Um, but every time there was like something in the book that she had seen an improvement on. And now she's really lovely and says like, you know, send me anything, Julie, cause I know you can revise it. Um, it's, so the worst part of publishing is definitely turned into my favorite part. I think that the other difficult thing is when your book comes out and it's not yours anymore and you just have to let it, and I know lots of authors have this problem, you just have to let it go out to the world and let people create their own opinions about it and make it their own and you just have to let it go and work on the next book. Yeah, well, I want to thank you very much for creating and, and letting go Dumplin. It was it was a funny and inspirational book, and I also thank you very much for joining us today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. All right. Now check out the link to purchase the book and audiobook in the program notes and leave us a rating. Visit us on Facebook. Visit Julie's website. Doing any and all of these things will be most appreciated. And thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi. And this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.